I'm going to read passage this morning from uh, the book of John, chapter 11, beginning at verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Well, good morning. Writer Somerset Mom said this. Death is a very dull and dreary affair. And my advice to you is to have nothing whatsoever to do with it. The problem is, that isn't an option. We all have to deal with it. We all have to face death. My neighbor across the street, just uh, three nights ago, the ambulance showed up about midnight, and those red lights light up your bedroom, and looked across the street and prayed for my neighbor as they took him off, and in an instant, he was dead from a heart attack. Life is short. Death is often unexpected. And all of us will face into that. I just want to ask, as a body of Christ, how many of us in the last five years have lost someone who is dear to us, a family member, someone who's close to us. Look around you at this dear body. We, we grieve together as a body of Christ. When I was 16 years old, that was the first time that I can remember where I really faced into the fact uh, that our lives uh, just won't keep going. I had uh, played golf uh, with a friend of mine, Ron Bromuller. Uh, He and I were on the golf team together. Uh, It was a bad, bad golf team, but we played golf together. 
We'll say we showed up anyway. And we played golf on Thursday, and he was, uh, he was on my uh, football team as well as my golf team, and all, a lot of the football players ended up on the golf team because a coach who coached football coached golf, so he asked us to play. And Thursday we played golf and had a great day together, and then Friday he was having a party and invited me to come, and I just couldn't make it. And uh, he ended up uh, driving in the car with his friends, and they were messing around, and he was looking backwards, talking to him, and he kind of skid off this dirt road, hit a telephone pole, broke his neck, died, age 16. That was my first experience. And then you show up at the memorial service, and you show up at the open casket, and you look at this shell of a person whose spirit is gone. And you beg God that their heart was softened to the Lord. All of us face death, and it goes on more and more, and it seems the older I get, the more often we are facing in with dear family and friends. And as we approach Genesis 23 this morning, we approach the death of Sarah. Sarah, whose name meant the princess. And I wanted to take part of our time this morning, like we do at a memorial service, to, to remember Sarah. And I hope this morning is a time for us to remember those that we have loved and to remember their character, to remember their value, to remember their blessing to us, to, to remember their example. And like we do at a memorial service, we also celebrate life. And so we'll do that this morning as we look in Genesis 23. And I had Terry read John 11 because it's a good reminder for all of us that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That is who our Lord is. And that is our great hope. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. And she died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. You know what? Sarah was an amazing saint. She was an incredible woman of incredible value. And she is a woman in the scriptures that we are told to look at, to look at her life as an example. And I, and I find that it's interesting in the scriptures that you don't see in the scriptures a call to or a reminder to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was obviously another incredible woman of the Lord. But we are told to look at Sarah and her life as an example of faith, a woman who sought after the Lord. Isaiah 51 says, Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from 
which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father. Look to Sarah, who gave you birth when I called him. He was but one. And I blessed him and made him many. Look to Sarah. Look to the heritage that you have. She is an example of a godly person. In 1 Peter 3, we see a call again to look to Sarah as a woman who sought the Lord. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty that comes from a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, and we can't miss that part, these holy women of the past put their hope in the Lord, not in their husbands, not in their earthly resources, They put their hope in the Lord. And that is what made themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. It reminded me of the Proverbs 31 woman. The culmination of all that she accomplished as a and as an amazing woman, and at the end of the proverb it says, the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's who Sarah was. And as we look at our beautiful woman in this body of Christ, I hope we do give praise for these women who fear the Lord. For these women who who pursue righteousness, right living, seeking after the Lord's way and truth. For these women who do not live in fear, but live in faith, and again set an example, not only to the women, but to us men, as we watch their lives of beauty in Christ Jesus. That's who Sarah was. And this morning we remember the princess. The thing about Sarah was uh, she had a real faith. She was a, a real person who was learning to trust God along the way, just like you and I are. We're learning to be obedient. We're learning to, to trust and live in Him. <clears throat> she wasn't perfect by any means, was she? she? She gave Hagar over to Abraham and said, let us conceive a child through relations with Hagar. She laughed at the angel of the Lord in unbelief. We've done the same. She lied when the Lord confronted her about her laughter. But like the scripture reminds us this morning, Sarah had life of 127 years. And when you look at the scriptures and what it says about Sarah, there's a few times where, you know what, we see her struggling in her journey. 127 years. So only women in all of Scripture that were given her age. 
I think the reason for that is to, again, remind us of her value and her worth, that her life had many years of godliness. Look to the years of Sarah's life, a woman of faith. She was a woman who we can look to as an example, even in the midst of the struggle. And the key is, in our lives and in Sarah's lives, is, is life, is that God knows our heart. God knows who we're becoming. He knows our heart towards Him, even when you and I struggle in this faith journey. I think we should have lives that were like Sarah, that are honest. Lives that don't pretend that all is good. Because not. Man, life is hard. I don't want us to pretend that we have life all together. I want us to be open about the struggle of our, of our faith. And even in the struggle that we have a desire to follow Christ. But we're honest about that. Faith sometimes feels elusive to us. And yet we live in obedience, even though it can be hard. Yet we we long to be followers of Jesus Christ. And God knows that heart of ours in the journey. Sarah was weak at times, but the Lord was strong in her life. And so he is in ours, isn't he? In our brokenness, in our frailty, when we struggle with sin and we want to be followers of the Lord Jesus, and we go, Lord, help us. It's right there where the Lord is strong in our lives. Reminds us of who he is. When she was weak, the Lord came along her side and helped her to become a woman of faith. Let us remember Sarah and how she lived in faith. Think about those who have gone to the Lord and how they lived in faith. In faith, Sarah left home with her husband Abraham who said, I had a call from the Lord, so let's just pack up everything and go. How difficult that must have been. And yet in faith, she went with her husband. In faith, she stood by Abraham's side even during many years of exile. As we studied in Genesis, there's a word that is given to, to a wife. It was given to Eve that she was a helpmate. And that Hebrew word was azer, that one who was a stronghold, that one who helps deliver out of darkness and hard times. That's who Sarah was. She was an incredible helpmate. And all of the journey of Abraham came by his side and was his strength when he had none. Was a great support in the middle of the struggles that he went through, and he had many. She upheld him in discouraging times with faith in her Lord. Sarah, through faith, received strength to conceive. And through faith, she believed that salvation was going to come through Isaac. And so in the scene where she says, we must cast out Ishmael, even though that seemed awfully harsh, 
She had faith that the line, the seed, would come through Isaac. And the Lord came along her side and said to Abraham, listen to your wife in this matter, because this is what's right. This is the seed that will come. And finally, in Hebrews 11, she stands enrolled as one who walked and lived a life of faith. That's who Sarah was. This is a woman that we look to as an example of one who put her hope in the Lord. 127 years of journey with the Lord. And so we remember with Abraham as this time of reflection upon her life. She was truly an amazing saint. Someone I hope we can look to for faith. And it brought to my mind as I, as I was studying this week about where is it that we need to take a step of faith? What is the Spirit spurring in your life this morning where He is asking you to take a step of faith? And would you be with your Lord today asking that question? Lord, where is it that you would like me to take a step of faith? Help me to be like Sarah who held on to you, who found strength alone in you, who put her hope alone in you. And may we live in that heritage of who Sarah was. The hard part about death is that we stay. We remain. For those who have died and who love the Lord Jesus, we oftentimes, as we stay here, we long to be with them. And we know that they rejoice in the Lord because of the promises of God. And it's interesting, this whole passage, as you look at Genesis 23, you'll see that there are, there are two verses that just kind of speak to the, to the death and the mourning of, of over Sarah and of Abraham's grief. And... The rest of the passage is about moving on with life and dealing actually with the land to buy a cave for a burial plot. And so it it deals with Abraham's living on, of living beyond this moment of incredible grief. And it deals with Abraham's heart towards his wife. And one of the things that you see in this passage in the first couple of verses is that Abraham really loved Sarah. They had a marriage, I think, that was just an incredible journey of, again, learning to love the Lord together, trusting Him, realizing who God had called them to be. They probably had 65-plus years of marriage. Abraham loved Sarah. And I hope for you husbands and wives today, I hope that you'll remember the gift that God has given you in your spouse. That you will express your love 
to one another. Truly a blessing and a gift. I hope you're aware of that. I think sometimes, again, in just the, the busyness of life, and we, we just forget or we take for granted. And so I hope the Spirit will minister to you today in giving you some ways that you can love your spouse today. Abraham loves Sarah. It says that he mourned her and he wept over her. He grieved deeply over her death. And he wept, not just the act of, of going in and mourning. That was what would take place in Eastern culture. But it was truly a, a personal grieving over her death. He wept over his beautiful wife. And you know, it's good to weep. Sometimes we try to be tough, and I'm not quite sure why we try to do that. We'll make it through. You know, we will because of the strength of the Lord, but we don't have to toughen up. The papers, when John Kennedy was assassinated, they made comment about how Jackie Kennedy was so strong, the funeral, and no tears, and how she held the family together. Let's not be that. Let's weep together over those that we love. I find it interesting, this is the only place we see where Abraham wept. You don't see it in all the other trials that he went through. And I mean, if I'm taking my son up to kill him, uh, the whole journey for me would just be a slobbery, messy you know, deal. I'd be weeping uncontrollably. Wanting to trust God, yet not understanding how all this is going to work out, I, I would weep. But it's at this place that his beloved, his beautiful wife, that he weeps. And one of the questions that we we face as followers of Jesus Christ who have hope in the resurrection, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. We have that hope. And so we go, what is it like for us to mourn and why do we mourn? We know that... Those who have placed their faith in Jesus are in eternity in heaven with our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we mourn? We mourn because death is the enemy. The scriptures remind us that Christ must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. We mourn, and Abraham mourned because of the loss of that wonderful relationship. We are real people who feel, and God has given us emotion, and God has given us a heart towards one another, and God has given us beautiful relationship, and so we mourn. And as we looked around the room this morning with many of us who have lost loved ones recently, we mourn and we grieve with one another. You can imagine as Abraham went in that he is remembering all the years with his beautiful wife, the sweet times and the laughter and and rejoicing in who their God was together. 
It is good to grieve. It is good to weep. Just like our Lord Jesus wept over Lazarus in John chapter 11. He loved Lazarus. Death was the enemy. But he proved there that Christ has victory over death. And that is our great hope. And so we can also rejoice in the life of those who have gone in the Lord Jesus. Abraham grieved his wife, and then he had to face the realities of living on, knowing that life would never be the same. But now he lived holding on to his Lord and living. He moved from beyond the grave. And verse 3 reminds us, he rose up from beside his dead wife. And then he went into this process of working on the funeral arrangements and the burial arrangements, just like all of us do. But he prepared these burial arrangements with the Hittites, who were in control of this land at the time. He prepared all of these, I think, with the future in mind, with God's promises right in his heart about who the Lord was, knowing that the Lord is the deliverer. The Lord defeats death. Death is the enemy, but Christ has victory over death, and so we do not weep. We do not grieve as those without hope. And I think Abraham was right in that place where he lived with hope. Thessalonians reminds us in Thessalonians 4, Paul says, Brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, about those who have died, or to grieve like the rest of men who, who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died. And we believe that Jesus rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have died, who have fallen asleep in Him. And my question to us, and the same question that Jesus asked, is do you believe this? For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ... I want you to know this morning that He is the resurrection and the life. And as you place your hope and your faith in Him, you will have salvation. And you will be raised with Him. You will be given life in Christ. And that is the hope that we have. And Jesus asks of every single person, and especially when we face death, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? and that I have conquered death. He moves into this engagement with Ephron, the Hittite, and, and basically it's kind of a funny scene. I'm not going to read it all, because it's, it's basically just a haggling scene that's taking place here. It's, it's what you see typically in the marketplace. But Abraham comes and he says, Listen, I'm an alien and I am a stranger here in this land and I want to buy this cave cave at Machpelah. Kind of give a little Irish ring there. Machpelah. 
I want to buy this cave. I want to bury my dead there. And here comes this whole scene of, of Ephron and, and the Hittites there. And, oh, you are, you are a prince amongst our people. And I think, I think it's kind of neat that Abraham actually has a, a good reputation. Somehow his reputation has, has infiltrated this camp. You're a prince in this land. No, no, no. The cave, oh, take the cave. It's all for you. And it looks like a real generous offer, but that, this, is just, this is just part of the haggling deal. It's like, oh, you take it. And Abraham says, no, no, no. I want to buy this land. Now, you've got to understand something. He doesn't have the land yet. God has promised it to him, but he doesn't have it. So one of the beautiful things in this scene is that he is, he is showing godly life in the middle of death, working on this burial arrangement, and he's also showing godly life even in the middle of this business transaction. He continues to live life in Christ and set an example in the middle of this. I love, it's a really fascinating kind of bizarre scene. And so here goes this haggling back and forth. No, listen, oh, you know, if, if, if I was to give you the land, I mean, the cost of it is, is 400 shekels, but... What is that between friends? And for those of us who've been to Israel together, we all dealt with this. You show up and, and you want to buy a certain thing. I wanted to buy this uh, kind of cool knife for my son, Caleb. And, and the guy's, oh, no. It's only 100 shekels, you know. And, and it, which was, they, they double everything, if not triple. And then they want to engage in the process. And they know a lot of Americans are scared to do this. And those, okay, a hundred shekels, fine, you know. Let me out of the store alive is kind of the deal. <laughs> and so they give them a hundred shekels. But then there comes the fun, the fun deal, and you haggle back and forth. And, and they say, you know, you offer them loan. Oh, how can I feed my family with this, you know. And it goes on and on. This is the scene. Four hundred shekels, but, ah, oh, you're my friend. He doesn't expect that Abraham's going to take the land. Abraham with kindness, with, with fair play, with godliness, says, fine, 400 shekels, we'll measure it, done deal. He doesn't even actually haggle back. He wants that land to be the land where Sarah will be buried and all the saints that will follow. And so he goes through this scene with great prudence. And, it, and the thing that I love about this is that he finally demonstrates godliness. Remember, he had some other bad deals where he was working with, with Pharaoh and he was working with the other guys that, you know, hey, take my wife, you know, she's my sister. And his reputation in that was one who was tricking him. And finally he switches around. And he starts to live life, even beyond the death of his wife, Sarah, and shows an example, even in the middle of death, of godliness. And so you have this kind of, again, unique, bizarre scene of this haggling going on for the land. Abraham is, 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 has been mourning and he's been weeping, but he also keeps living. 
And that's good, too. I think sometimes we, we, we feel guilty that we're moving on. And I don't think that's of the Lord. I think the Lord wants you at, at some place to, to move on. We don't forget we don't forget our beautiful loved ones who have died. But we live life in Christ. And we learn to trust Him more. And we learn to depend on Him more. We learn to live in the promises of God. And I believe that Abraham was not only, not only buying Ephron's field to, to bury Sarah, but to express his confidence in God's promises concerning the land and concerning the future. You see, God had promised Abraham this land. He did not own it at the time, but he promised it to his descendants. And, and the scriptures remind us, as, as God met with Abraham earlier, and you remember the story, he says, look, look at all this land. This will be given to you. Look to the east and the south and the west. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. I want you to walk through the land and the length and the breadth of all of this land. I am giving it to you. And so I think when Abraham buys this land, he remembers that covenant, that promise of God, even though it's going to be his descendant's land someday. He doesn't go in and just, you know, I'm going to go to battle and take this land. He enters in with graciousness and he enters in with confidence that God someday will give them this land. It was hope beyond the grave. Abraham buried Sarah here. It was a sign that God would fulfill his promises. A promise that the land would be forever his. And as we find throughout scriptures... It became a burial place for all of the great saints to follow. Abraham would be buried here. Isaac and Rebekah, Leah, Jacob's wife. Jacob was buried here. Joseph, who was in Egypt, wanted to be carried to this place. Abraham's hope went much further than just the land. And so should ours. When he begins this negotiation with the Hittites, with Ephron, he says, verse 4, and this is the key for all of us. He recognizes who he is. And you and I need to do the same. You need to recognize in your spirit who you truly are. Because it gives us that place of hope. I am an alien, and I am a stranger among you. And that is exactly who we are. Abraham knew it. I am an alien, and I am a stranger. And these words were to penetrate those followers of Christ who would come behind Abraham and Sarah. King David cried out in Psalm 39, Hear my prayer, O Lord. And listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping, for I dwell with you as an alien and stranger, as all of my father follows, followers and fathers were. 
Are we looking to a country that is not our own? Do you think about heaven, truly, and the fact that that is your home? Death brings us to a place to contemplate that. It really does. And I hope you have a confidence that my true home that the Lord is preparing for me, John chapter 14, my true home is eternity, heaven, with my Lord Jesus. Here's what Hebrews reminds us of. All of these people, that is Abraham and Sarah and all these incredible people of faith, they were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, but they saw them, they knew of them, and they welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have had opportunity to return. But listen to verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 11. Instead, they were looking and longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And he has done the same for you and for me. These are the promises of God. As we think about death. And that the Lord shows up at Lazarus's death and at his tomb. And he raises Lazarus from the dead as a reminder and a very clear example to us that I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? That I have gone to prepare a place for you. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the Lord and the Savior Jesus? And if you put your faith in me, you shall not perish, but you shall have life. Do you believe this? We are aliens and strangers passing through this land. And those beautiful ones who have gone before us, they dwell now with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, we acknowledge you this morning as the resurrection and the life. And we thank you, Father, for those who have gone before us. We thank you for the example of Sarah and her life of faith. We thank you for our family and our loved ones who have died and who have been an example of faith. And Lord, we do not forget their life. We remember and we rejoice because those who have placed their faith in you, they dance with you today, Lord Jesus. Father, minister to our hearts this morning as we grieve together. Minister to our hearts today and remind us, Father, of the place you have prepared for us. In your precious name, amen. We get the privilege of having communion this morning, and I think what a great day to do that.
Gentlemen, if you would come forward. And in a time of remembering death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and yet at the same time, we remember His resurrection because of His death on the cross. We will be raised with Him in eternity. And so we celebrate this morning. We remember God's goodness to us and the, and the price He paid for us. So let's share in communion together this morning.